Welcome to the Creators with AI podcast. I'm your host, David, and this is a show where we share insights about the future of artificial intelligence and how it will affect the lives of people working in the creative industries. Now, I know we normally focus on creatives, but this time we have something a bit different for you. On today's show, we chat with retired Rear Admiral Alex Burton, where we touch on the role of the military in defending Western values and how AI fits into those strategies, how the events in Eastern Europe and Ukraine have highlighted the importance of national security, and how AI can enhance the military capabilities and the ethical considerations that come with its use. Alex is a retired Rear Admiral from the UK's Royal Navy, whose final appointment was as the Commander, United Kingdom Maritime Forces. That's the Royal Navy's senior seagoing fighting admiral. He commanded three warships on operations across the globe, established the Royal Navy's Innovation Center, and led the acquisition of several major programs. After leaving the service in 2017, Alex started his second career within the tech startup world, and until recently was a director of a transatlantic artificial intelligence and machine learning software company that was founded to exploit the power of data for advantage in defense and security. As always, links to Alex's profile and social media will be in the show notes on our website at creativeswith.ai. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this enlightening conversation with Alex. Alex, thanks for coming on today. We're really excited to have this conversation. I think there's a lot of interesting topics that we could delve into. The first question, though, that I really want to ask you um, before we get into any of the detail here is, is how are you doing? Yeah. I'm doing well, but a free time to be doing. I'm I'm well. I'm um, enjoying the end of a a wet London spring, and um, and life is returning re- re- returning to greenness again. But no, I'm I'm very well, thank you. Excellent, excellent. So the first thing that comes to mind, and I think we talked about this a little bit before before the podcast, was maybe just give a little bit of background, sort of for the listeners on what the purpose of the military is and their sort of role in defending our Western values, if you want to call it that, and how that then feeds into, or how AI then feeds and fits into that. Yeah, sure. It's a, um, it's a really interesting question because to anyone that served or anyone that sits within government, it, it's sort of a question that doesn't really need to be asked, let alone, let alone answered. But, you know, I, I, in my late fifties, and and that sort of gives me sort of two reasons to 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 realise that it is a question that needs to be asked. One is I've got children who've grown up over the since the Cold War, and whereas I my early stage of my career was was during the Cold War, they've grown up since the Cold War, and they the sort of conflicts that they've seen our country involved in are conflicts um, that have had a tangential reference to their own safety and their, our own national security. And I think there's no doubt and that that tangential reference rather than direct reference has made it quite difficult for those conflicts to be completely justified to the entire population. And by association has made it quite difficult for the military um, to be justified. Now, the tragedy of the last 18 months in Eastern Europe and Ukraine, I think, has, has um, made answering that question more easy. It, it, when you have a country that is illegally invaded, I, that's an ox, that's a, that's a um, tautology. When, when you have a, com- a country that has been uh, invaded by an autocratic state uh, against their wills, then it's quite easy to understand why you have a military. But I do think that the general public still feel that that's a long way east. It's a long way from the shores of, of Dover. And therefore, uh, why, why do we have a military of the scale, scale, scale that, we, that we do? So I haven't answered your question. I've just, I think, justified why I think it's a really credible question. The, the the reason we have defense forces and um, and um, military, but other agencies as well, uh, that protect our security is because we've got to be able to act or be able to be credibly prepared to act uh, more effectively um, than our adversary. And I can 
bring to life who those adversaries are, um, and and they range from those that are are are, are acting on our soil. And Russia has acted. We mustn't forget Russia has acted on the UK soil, but there are also people that want to steal our intellectual property, that want to compromise the manner in which what I describe as global commons um, are, 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 are used. And maybe I can sort of unpack that a little bit more uh, later. But those countries include China, they include North Korea, they include Iran. Um, so there are countries that wish us to be less free than we currently are, um, that, that don't believe in the international rules-based system. And that's why we have security services and military. David is very glass half full. You know, as am I, I'm an optimist and I love technology, but I'm, I'm very cautious, you know, because I'm, and so we, we're, we're a good balance of people to talk to in that way, because I'm always putting my hand up saying, what if, what if, what if, and David's like, it's great. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think those are the sort of perfect yin and yang, aren't they? And actually, if you look at, if you look at where AI is playing out in, in, in government, but here we're talking about defense. I think you've got exactly the same tensions, haven't you, between between those that see uh, all the benefits, see um, you know transformative for good from AI, and those that see some of the risks associated with it. And you know, dare I say it? And of course, I think I I sit with David here as being being the optimist. One of the challenges of um, introducing any form of technology into government, but particularly defense, is that they're naturally conservative. To it, so you, so so you almost have to be a driven optimist to deliver that change, but just make sure you've got you, you you've got the ethics and the explainability behind it. And what about like you know, I'm I'm aware that the United Kingdom certainly uh, is ethical, but I mean, I guess there's a question around whether other countries that that pose a risk will take that approach. Yeah, I mean, I think I I think it's fairly clear that you have. And it's not binary, but you've got a collection of countries that believe in the international rules-based system, uh, believe in how what I would describe commons are owned by everyone and with sort of light touch regulation. Those might be the sea, it might be space, it might be might be cyberspace. You could you could call those, although it's a slightly stale statement, those sort of Western aligned countries. And you've got countries that have a far more autocratic system, which which does not obey and conform to the international rules-based system. And I think the last eighteen months has been that's been brought into in, into visceral focus uh, with Ukraine, um, and that that has been a tragic abuse of the international rules-based system. But the reality is that the competition and and and, and contestation across a whole host of uh, what I would describe domains or environments um, from China, from Russia, from North Korea and, and other autocratic, autocratic states. And I think the challenge with those states and deterring them and encouraging them and coercing them into, into that international space system is they don't share our ethical norms. And so the tools that they use, whether they're conventional or whether they're the more novel and innovative AI systems, will not be bound by the same regulations as we would have in the in in, in the democracy, for want of another another word. So, yeah. question then, like thinking about that though, doesn't that give these kinds of countries a distinct advantage if they're prepared to be unethical? I'm not saying that they are, but that you know, yes, but. Didi, I think is it's a compelling it, it's a compelling statement. You know, but I suppose many of your audience will have little understanding of, of the of the actions of the military. They'll see um, they'll see in the newspapers and tragically, as I said, over the last eighteen months, they'll have seen it very visually in Ukraine. But if I talk to you know my children and my children's friends, they reflect on the actions of certainly the British and, 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 and the Western military uh, in wars that people question, question their validity on. I sort of try and take it back to its basics and say that 
uh, the military and the security forces, which include other arms of government, whether it's a diplomatic arm or, or, or the military arms, are there to ensure that as a nation and as a collection of allies, we're able to act or credibly be prepared to act more effectively than our adversaries. So there are two parts to that which are really important. It is we've got to be able to act to uphold our beliefs and uphold those things that we hold dear. But we've also got to be able to show that we are prepared to, uh, both in, in, in our convictions, but also in the credible elements of our, of our weaponry. And I think that gets to the heart of your question there, Didi, about you know our adversaries don't share our ethical North Star. What I found counterintuitive is that those people that, that are most strident about our ethical positions and can on occasions be most strident about the tools that we might need to use to uphold those ethical positions. Uh, my view is that if you are acting against an adversary that doesn't share your ethics, so they might not be, I mean, let's take it to its most visceral and, and physical element. And, and you, you, you know, ultimately you want, you have to deliver violence against your adversary. If you don't share our beliefs that you absolutely have to minimize that violence to those who you've identified as an adversary, if your ethics are more broad than that, then you may not need all of the technology, in this instance, artificial intelligence and machine learning, to provide that ultimate discretion. So my response to those people that are uncomfortable about a, a, a compromise in ethics is you absolutely need the sophistication of artificial and, and machine learning to support human decisions to ensure that we can be more effective than our adversary. Oh, 100%. But, you know, and what I think is really interesting, Alex, is like, in my mind, the emergence of artificial intelligence is, and, and this is where ethics sits in it, it effectively, we it's almost like we've entered another nuclear arms race, you know, but with artificial intelligence, right? So, and so we have to keep up. So I, I do wonder at what point ethics will be abandoned in pursuit of, 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 of keeping up with everyone else. Well, I'm going to violently disagree, disagree with your final point. Um, I'm going to come back, I'm going to, but I'm going to start with your first one, which is that nuclear arms race. And, and, and I absolutely agree with you. But I also, layering on top of that, think that if we're not careful, we're going to be in, um, using your analogy of the nuclear arms race, we're going to be in what the US nuclear strategies described in the 70s and 80s or 60s and 70s that window of vulnerability. So, uh, you know, deterrence is a hugely complex and multi-layered area of debate, but fun, fun, fundamentally, you do not want to appear vulnerable during, during a period of, a, a period of de deterrence. And I think at the moment, if we're not careful, we will end up in that window of vulnerability in exactly the same manner as you described by, by nuclear. I think the one thing we cannot afford to do as, I mean, and I, and I, I'm not comfortable with the phrase Western liberal democracies because, because it, it, it covers um, both people that are not completely liberal and it also covers people that are well beyond the Western world. But let's use, let's use that phrase. If we as allies start compromising our ethics, we have sort of lost the heart of what we as nations believe in. So if we if we start compromising the international rules-based system, then to some extent that 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 very position, that the sort of the standard to which we uphold ourselves, um, and standard could be a sort of you know an ethereal thing, and it and it could be the standard to which we fight is is, is compromised. Now, where I agree with you is that ethics um, and our ethical position will is organic. I. I you know, and, and, and you only need to look back over the last 200 years to see how humans' positions on various principles have been shaped um, by the actions, the, the, the intellectual thought process and the actions of, of, of those people within the environment where violence is, is enacted and discussed. So can I take it back just to, 
step to something that you were talking about before, and you were talking about uh, somewhere in there, I think you mentioned decision making. And and one of the ideas sort of that we had had before also was was thinking about how could AI support faster decision making? So it's not that the AI is impacting the ethics of the decisions being made, but I'm interested in your thoughts on how you think it could change the way that the information is is gathered and how quickly it can be given to people who are in those situations. And then, because the ethics is like, at the end of the day, it's do we do this or don't we do this for our system of beliefs? But there's a whole system that builds that up behind the scenes that actually presents information to those who are making those decisions. And I'm wondering, sort of through the whole chain of command, how you think AI might impact that? Do you think that there are is that already really good? And is it, you know, fast enough? And do you get enough information? Or do you think AI, that's an area that AI might really be able to have some impact? Yeah. Um, I, suppose, I suppose the starting point, and we can then sort of pick on each of these elements as, as we go forward, is, is to say, hey, look, where, where might AI provide value in, in military campaigns for, for the benefit of defense and security. And, and I guess what I'll do is I'll go through the ones that are probably least contentious first and, and, and then move to your, to your question, David. There is no doubt, and this is where we're most comparable with the commercial sector, that there's huge value to be gained from support to uh, defense and security. And that might be expediting procurement. It might be undertaking predictive maintenance. It could be starting managing budgets. It could be within our human resources management, whether that's recruiting, retention, pay, and, and, and training, et cetera. All of that is of huge value. You know, I wouldn't try and put a hierarchy of benefit here, but I think probably least contentious to the majority of, of our listeners. I think the next area would I would describe as combat simulation uh, and modeling. And Again, there's a breadth here, some of which might be contentious to some people, much of which won't be. There is no doubt that it is a lot easier to to train against the most credible threat within a simulated environment than it is to train against it in a large environment. It is also cheaper. It is also far more effective training because you can pause, you can rerun it, you can play various options. So again, I don't think that would be a particularly contentious area. You then start moving into developing that training simulation such that you can start modeling campaigns, whether they're at a sort of an operational level or at a tactical level. And at its most sophisticated, you could, you could do that. I mean, how do you define real time? But you could do that what I would describe as on the fly. So you could see how an adversary acted in real time and then and then model how your responses might impact their, their actions. And that could then take you to digital twins, which could both help you in the development of your capability, et cetera. We're now moving into two areas that I think, uh, David, you touched on first, which is the sort of assisting in decision-making and then moving up to the actions of weapon systems, and those weapon systems might be swarming weapon systems. So I'm sort of gradually moving through to that which would um, get get some people most most animated. There is absolutely no doubt that um, what a military decision maker most wants is as much information as swiftly as possible. And I think the one addition I'd there is a desire to talk about speed of decision-making and speed of information delivering. I would separate, I would change that and use the word effective because, because I think effective, and you could add a, other context to this, effective both involves the accuracy of the information you've got and the speed at which that information is delivered. And it could be that the decision you need to make because of the behaviors of your adversary requires some information as quickly as possible rather than the most accurate information that might take five days. There is absolutely no doubt that in both those dynamics, both accuracy and speed, the two of which are sort of two sides of the same coin, artificial intelligence can help hugely. I um, And that's interesting that you said that. And I had a friend who used to be in US Special Forces. And he said to me, 
the, the thing that they always train them to do as well, which you may recognize, which is if you have 10 seconds to make a decision, wait 10 seconds. Like you should always be ready to make a decision, but if you can wait, wait. Something may happen in that 10 seconds that makes you change your mind. And so there is this whole sort of thing that is like, it's good to be ready, but don't do it too quickly. Like be ready when you need to. So I assume there's a, a certain amount of that as well. There is, and I think, but I think there is the curse of the of, of the opposite, which is there's you know a desire to just have that last piece of information before I make make that decision for action. And the reality is that generally, there you will never have all the all that information will give you is a level of uncertainty somewhere else where you would require more information. And and the most dynamic and effective military campaigns have been have been um, successful because people have acted at a speed with just the right amount of information that they've got. Here comes the glass half half empty though, Alex. Like I, I wonder, and there's no there's no question that artificial intelligence can strengthen strategic decision making because of the pace. But what are the what's the do you perceive as a potential vulnerability thinking about cyber attacks and uh, if we're reliant upon artificial intelligence for information, isn't is that an opening for kind of adversaries to hack those systems? And you know, I know cyber 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 yeah. defense is a is a big thing, but it's like it's just an additional layer, isn't it? Yes, I, I think there is absolutely no doubt that. Uh, and David and I were talking about ChatGPT just just before they started. I think there's absolutely no doubt that it would be wrong to consider. That AI is a, a panacea to all or to all problems, and there are sort of many reasons for that. One, your your point on on ethics, D. Yeah, at the moment, uh, the UK has made it quite clear that there will always be a human in in the loop when conducting visceral, violent action that causes death. That means that AI ML becomes a human decision aid rather than a tool of itself. I don't think I'm being too provocative by saying that that could change. And I go back to my point on the reality is if we are to be able, if we are charged with upholding the international rules-based system against adversaries, we need to be able to act more effectively than our adversary. Tragically, that may well mean on occasions we are wrong and we do something wrong. One would hope that we are less frequently wrong when well, we should be. AI and ML should not it should not be used if it is if it is more wrong than than a human. But you know, it's it's like we're at an interesting moment in time, and I like what you really I really like what you said there about uh, for now. You know, because I don't think that we can know what the future is going to hold in terms of what this technology is going to be enacted for, you know, because I always, I have this thing where I think about where we are at this moment in time. And like, I'm old enough, and I assume you guys are old enough too, to remember a world before the internet, you know, and and to remember our dial-up internet. And you, you could never have imagined where we would be today. And I think that there's been incredible good. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish for that, uh, for that technology to, you know, I wouldn't wish for a world without the, without the internet. But I'm saying that along with the good has come a lot of bad too. And I think that there is a dark side and there will be a dark side to AI. And we need to manage that quite carefully and keep our eye on it. Huh? Because we can't know, we can say right now, decisions will always be taken by humans. Well, you know, I don't think I could have imagined in 1985 that I was going to be walking around with a phone in my pocket. It was going to control my whole life. You know, we, we, we just can't know. Yes, that's very true. And, and there is a risk that by sort of moving straight on, I dismiss it. You're absolutely right that AI, that over the next few years, we will see AI used for evil. And, and, and it could be, well, so we will see AI used in a manner that we, we would not wish it to be used. And, and the reason why I sort of um, amplified that is because that could be, it happened consciously. It could be that it happened unconsciously, I not not in a deliberate manner. I think where I diverge from people that know far more about AI and ML than 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 me, although I say that I probably understand the 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 art of war better than them, is I I, I don't buy into a six month 
moratorium or, 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 or a pause. And I think this is where the analogy with the internet falls down because, because fundamentally the internet has been embraced by everyone other than those people that find it a threat. Look at the great wall of the great internet wall of China and has not, has not been weaponized to the same level as artificial intelligence and machine learning is being, is, is being discussed as being weaponized in, in, um, at the moment. And therefore, if we put ourselves on pause for six months, we opt out of the race and we opt out of the race at the, at the very moment when our adversaries are investing phenomenally heavily. Yeah. So if you just, to, and then, yeah. I'll, then you must come back to me, but just sort of picking on a couple of comments, you know, China is, China's stated aim is to lead the world in artificial inter- intelligence and machine learning by 2030. Their investment is doubling every couple of years in artificial intelligence and machine learning. Putin, a couple of years ago, made the statement that whoever becomes a leader in this sphere will become the ruler of the world. Um, now, you know, I don't think that Russia is, is going to be a, a credible AIML leader anytime soon, but China could be. So I think where your analogy with the internet in many ways is right, but, but is weakened in the sphere of defense and, and security is that you've got an adversary that is trying to overtake you. Yeah. And I'm not advocating like whatsoever. I sound like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of throwing buckets of water on everybody. I'm, I'm not advocating for a pause. I think the genie's out of the bottle. And, and, and if we don't keep up, if we don't keep up with with our let's call them competitors, adversaries, you know, competitors commercially, but you know, adversaries in terms of defense, if we don't keep up with them, we put we put ourselves at risk. But I, this is where the whole ethics thing comes back again, coming back full circle, is that it, you know, I I wonder at what stage in the race because it is a race, you know, uh, that that in order to keep up with our adversaries, competitors in business, adversaries geopolitically, whether those ethics will be abandoned or have to be abandoned uh, you know as 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 a result of the the pace at which this technology is advancing and we can't know that i don't think no i i i'm really glad you used that final final phrase because i think as we develop our so, so firstly i think when i talk about adversaries i talk about adversaries exactly as you described halfway through there which is adversaries in the geopolitical and the geostrategic world because the, anyone that is, serves in the military or in, in the security agencies believes that they serve for that purpose rather than serve, serving solely for the delivering violence. And, and if we, uh, and, and if we, I mean, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember the Cold War and then the end of the Cold War. And we spent a huge amount of time working with the Russian Navy that they, they, they had a, a different approach to democracy to us, but they but they they were moving from adversaries and tragically they've moved back yeah. again. So I, I think every any military officer or any any serving or retired military service man or woman would say that actually it's it's the geopolitics that we got an issue with. Um, but I got slightly digressed. Um, Didi, I I think the the point on ethics is is compelling. I would say that as we develop our AI tools to support defense, then those AI tools need to be able to act in a manner that we aren't prepared for them to act at the moment, but may need them to act if we are to, and I go back to the statement I I made previously, if we ultimately are required to act in a manner that's more effective than our our adversary, and our adversary has got those has got those tools. That was a slightly awkward statement, but but I think the bottom line is that it will be too late if if our adversary has chosen to be aggressive and has got tools that act more swiftly than we can. So we we need those tools, but we absolutely need a level of control over them commensurate with the laws and the rules and the policies that we have at the time. And yeah. do you think do you think AI is going to make us like this is a really base question but do you think that AI 
makes us, you know, it, it, thinking about it in terms of uh, of the military and in terms of defense, does it make the world a safer place or does it make the world a scarier place? It's a very binary question, isn't it? Yeah. Which, which is impossible to answer. To, to some, some extent, extent your question, question, your question is, Alex, would I prefer a world with or without AI? That's it, Alex. You got okay. it in one. And, and the answer is uh, that on the balance of probabilities, I would prefer a world with AI. Um, and again, you know, this is where I move well out of um, the, my area of expertise. The reality is that AI has got the opportunity of delivering so much good to the world um, that what should happen, and I think we will get there, what should happen is we end up with an element of governance and regulation and you know, Cold War-esque approach to AI in the military and the defense in the, in the military and defense sphere. Um, and I hesitate to go back to your analogy with nuclear, but I do think there is there is some parallels there. And um, the reality is that nuclear has delivered a huge amount of good, both inside and outside um, uh, defense. But once invented, it kind of can't be uninvented. Yes. Agreed. That's, that's literally where I was going to go with it, because I was going to leap back around and say, because you mentioned that we all lived, you know, we did all live through the Cold War and all of that stuff, you know, sort of back in the 80s. And, and I remember it clearly. And I think I do think we'll probably end up in a similar situation where it's maybe somebody will use it once, sort of, you know, the U.S. famously, um, you know, actually used a nuclear bomb or two, and then everybody else went, okay, we can not do that again. And I think there was a big consensus, and maybe the same thing will happen. Maybe we'll see, you know, one country will use some sort of AI in a, in in one situation, and then I think everybody might realize and go, okay, we all just need to calm down, and you know, it'll it'll turn into this sort of threat um, and a Cold War type situation where we all know that we've all got it and we all know that we can use it, but nobody actually will because everybody's afraid. As soon as you set it loose, then everybody loses. And I guess it's the same thing. I mean, I know we've come back to a situation where, you know, we don't specifically want to talk about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine at the minute, but, you know, there is this sort of existential threat in the background that, you know, Putin might use nuclear weapons again. And, you know, would they be like small tactical ones where he's trying to just, you know, take over one location or, you know, would that lead to some sort of global thing? And I just get the feeling that AI is going to, in, in, in the defense realm, I think it might end up being the same sort of a situation where we just end up in a massive cold war about it. I, and this is where I, I think I share DD's glass half empty. I think that the, the nuclear analogy has flaws in, in, in both its temporal context and the makeup of AI compared to a, a, a nuclear bomb. So in the temporal context, I think that, um, and again, no historian, there'll be listeners that will, will be busy ranting at the screen when they hear this. But um, hopefully, I think we have, well, we know we've got a far more global environment than we had um, at the end of the Cold War, uh, at the end of the Second World War and, the, and, and moving into, into the Cold War. So the ability for information transfer um, was, was not nearly in the same manner as it, as it is now. And the constructs around nuclear control occurred within that environment and have somehow sustained themselves. Um, and I think it's amazing that they have, but have somehow constructed. I, I think that the, the cost of entry is significantly different to a nuclear weapon, to, a, um, to, to an AI, AI tool. And, and I think that plays on my final point, which is, a nuclear weapon is a is a physical thing. <laughs> An AI tool can be hired for the hour with a level of with a level of um, a, a sort of plausible deniability. So I can see a situation where Russia might not be ready to use some of the um, AI tools that it has, or China might not be ready to use some of the AI tools that it has right now, but might be prepared to pass some to non-state actor or a, 
or, or, or a or a state a, a state to to play with. I'm I, I'm sort of you know riffing on my I'm riffing yep. on my seat here, but I but I think that um, I, I I have less confidence, David, than you do that there'll be an element of early control over AI. And it's the kind of stuff, you know, that people, I, I think it's like worth worth kind of thinking about the kind of scenarios that really scare people, okay? Which may not be the scenarios that are in your mind, Alex, but when people imagine the deployment of artificial intelligence within the military, they're imagining things like you know, no humans making decisions, like the robots taking over the world, drones descending and and killing everybody and 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 a complete lack of control. And I don't think that's right right now. But I mean, I think it's worth it's worth noting that that's what kind of the public temperature is ar- around this. And it's and it is really, really extreme, you know, and it, and and things could get to that point if if we don't act with caution. I'm not saying they will, but they could. I think this is the point uh, made by the the very, very educated and intellectual um team who said, you know, pause, pause on AI. And my, my I, I mean, I, I think I, I merely go back to, to, to the statement I, that I made earlier, which is, you know, any, any country that enforces a, a moratorium or group of countries uh, opts out of the race because, um, because we know it's been a stated aim by those people that um, don't share our, our beliefs and, um, that that they want to have superiority in this environment. So the the sort of environment, those those sort of HG Wells Independence Day environment that you that you described, DD, is is an environment that some of I I can foresee some are some of our adversaries uh, would 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 choose to develop. We have no choice but but to to need to respond to that. Well, I got Alex <laughs> to agree with me. I'm so pleased. Okay. And, and on the optimistic view, you know, let, let's say that the whole world plays nice. I doubt that's going to happen. The whole world plays nice. Uh, you know, what are the, what are the potential uh, beneficial outputs for us as a, as a country in terms of, and, and for the world, in fact, in terms of you know, kind of global safety and global unity, and you know what 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 does what does AI offer up for that? So I think even if the whole world doesn't play nice, I I I, I where I where I think I I'm, I sort of share some of David's views is that you know this is going to be this is this is a voyage of discovery. What tends to happen is you get you get an odd spark and a. You, you you are but and people learn and people learn the sort of behaviors and the protocols. So I think I think bad things will happen. I think that things will go wrong on our side. We'll make mistakes and we'll we'll learn learn from them. And and I can see a situation over the next five years where there is the two adversaries, two contestants bump up against each other and and AI is used and and People walk away and go, "Whoa, hang on a second, we need to talk about that before that happens again." And Will we even than... know? God, sir. Will we even know? This is presuming that people know that AI will be used in one of those conflicts. Will we even have we as the general public? Will we even have any idea that AI was potentially used in the background? Or do you think this will be? Will this be something that sort of? Like, look, there's a lot of technology that defense uses that nobody knows anything about and intelligence uses that nobody knows anything about. And I get the feeling that what's going to happen is if it isn't already being used in anger, it will be, but no one will have any idea that it was. And at what, what would have to happen for us to actually realize that AI was being used? And do you think anybody would admit to it, even if it was? I mean, lots of, lots of questions, questions there. I mean, there is, a, I think to your first point, David, there are a whole host of of weapons um, and um, behaviors and actions that governments use that are that, that they don't share with their citizens, and, and and that is a contract between between governments and citizens, where governments are elected to keep the citizens safe and and within the boundaries of legality, they 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 use them. So I think there's every chance that we will we will not we will not know. But equally, you know, you, you, you only need to 
look at the extraordinary work of organizations like Bellingcat to know that there will be a whole host of investigators out there to, when something goes wrong, to establish what that was and, and why. I think what I would, what I would hope and my, all of my engagement um, since leaving and my understanding whilst I was serving is that at the heart of our development of AI ML, and when I say R, it's, you know, our allies and us, is a drive for explainability for an audit trail. Um, and, and that's for several reasons. One, so that we can, we can learn from mistakes because mistakes will be made and, and the tool can become more effective. And that more effective is, is both sides of the divide, really, isn't it? It is making sure that um, if we have to kill the bad guy, then we kill the, we kill the mad guy. And it is also making sure that we kill fewer or none of the neutral or the good guys. So we absolutely need explainability for that reason. And also because we ultimately will need to, whether it is to government, whether it is to, um, to uh, overseers, uh, or whether it's to the general public be able to justify our actions. Yep. Don't ask me to go go off about the Cold War and everything because you know I I you know this is the thing. I've got a uh, we'll university be here <laughs> Yeah. I've yeah. got university age children and um you know my son is uh, studying politics and international relations and we spent our whole life kind of talking about geopolitics and you know he's 21 and he thinks he knows everything and he might know more than me after all. But I, you know, I was trying to explain to him that when I was growing up, it felt so real. The threat to the threat to, um, and I was growing up in Canada, you know, but it it felt so real. I remember we used to go to bed every night thinking the Russians were going to nuke us, mm. and it feels like, and I don't know if this is the constant barrage of information that young people are exposed to through social media and the internet and technology, and it's like fast, hard news all the time. That they, they don't kind of take these threats seriously, you know, like everybody thinks that, you know, oh, it's just saber rattling. Oh, you know, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to escalate because they, because they're consuming that information all of the time. Whereas my stance is like, you know, I'm, I'm always like the end is nigh every time something happens, you know, which David can attest to. So. I think the military is incredibly important. And I think that, uh, anything that's going to, you know, although I'm very, uh, I'm very cautious where artificial intelligence is concerned. Anything that's going to make our our defense, our military, and our and our safety uh, more effective, I'm for it. Even if there, even if there's a risk of Independence Day, Alex. I think there's one area that has changed. That, that there's there's a couple of dynamics that have changed dramatically since the um, the end of the Cold War. D- during the Cold War, uh, and the military call these domains or environments. During the Cold War, we had, you know, we had the land, we had air, and, and, and we had had sea. And you know, near the end of it, you started getting, you started, and and you had space, but it was it was pretty uncontested. What I where we've got a real challenge now is that um, is that what I describe as global commons. So the global commons are, you know, the sea, cyberspace, space, and Antarctica. And let's ignore Antarctica for. For, for a moment, because it's, I, I think, quite, quite, quite unique. Um, the, the sea, the, the regulation around the sea, the international laws of the sea have been, have been upheld by largely nations similar to ourselves, but have been accepted by um, the, the rest of the world and adapted, but, but over hundreds and hundreds of years. And, and you know, it is quite extraordinary that we sit here now and bits of the vast majority of the globe is owned by no one. Um, and the same with, same with the, you know, the internet. It is, you know, it is, it is a global common and the same with space. They are that, you know, space is a, a global, a global common. Now we, we set a, a set of rules and, and protocols around, a, a, around the sea. And we set a set of rules and protocols around uh, the internet and, 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 there were some rules and protocols around space. The challenge with space and and cyberspace is action there um, happens at the speed of light, um, and so and so I think this and I think this is a this is a challenge that that many people 
find, find difficult to immediately associate with. You've got something that is owned by no one, um, and yet, and therefore anyone, you know, people can, can act on it and, and people can start forming different rules, which is what China is doing in both space and in, in the internet. And once those different rules are formed, we are bound by them because the decisions happen at the speed of light. Whereas that's, that wasn't the case with, with the sea. You know, the sea is bound by the physics of, physics of nature. So, so I, 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 I think that, that, um, the, the reason why we, we should be so seized by the risks and the benefits associated with artificial intelligence and machine learning and, you know, let's, you know, come on later to quantum is because there are a collection of commons that are coming of age at the moment, particularly space and cyberspace. They're coming of age at the moment. And the rules that we would want there are at risk because there are players that, that believe in very different systems to us. And the consequence of that can happen at the speed of light. The speed of light in the Wild West, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> the speed of light in space. I love it. Yeah, we didn't even touch on quantum. And I feel like that's a whole separate topic. Because if you add quantum into the AI that we have at the minute, and then you start saying, well, okay, what's going to be the next big step in AI? Well, it's going to be quantum. Because as soon as you can get AI running on quantum, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Because you can then process so much more data so much faster and in so many different ways. It, that's going to be a massive game changer. And I, I'm not sure how far away we are from that. Actually, it has come up in a couple of conferences that I've been to lately. So I'm just wondering, it might be interesting to get somebody on, I think, the podcast later who's a quantum expert to really come and talk to us about what's the state of quantum at the minute and how do they think about you know, the migration of AI onto off of normal server systems that we have at the minute onto some sort of a quantum system. And um, that I think that'll be, that's the next major step change. And I don't know how far away we are from that at the minute. And David, I, I don't know either. And and I, I wouldn't even, I mean, you, you, if any point you talk to, you, you get different answers. Um, so I'm not going to try and forecast it. I, I just sort of offer one reflection. It gets back to our sort of analogy with with with, with nuclear. The the my worry about quantum when it turns up, uh, unlike a nuclear bomb, you don't you can't hire out a nuclear bomb to um to give to a third party, whether that's a state or a non-state actor, to to exploit either for deterrence or or, or action. And um, once you have a a, a quantum computer. You, you can hire out that quantum, you could hire out that quantum computer uh, for use by whoever might want to use it. And I think that brings some very, very scary conclusions and, and, and possible futures, uh, both within the military, the financial, you know, the, 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 the fabric of the, every fabric of state. All I'm seeing in my mind is Bond villains. You know this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quantum computer. Yeah. When you can get quantum on AWS, then anybody can anybody can get access to it, and any mm. anyone with an idea will be able to go in and make something that could potentially destroy everything. Yeah, which is a slightly think, so, slightly sobering thought. They're not sure uh, we want to end on that one. <laughs> <laughs> any final thoughts? Maybe glass half full, positive, reinforcing, so we can leave the conversation feeling good about ourselves and where we think we're going in the future. What autocratic states dislike most of all is a is a collection of allies. Is 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 that which actually quite extraordinarily uh, over the last fifty, sixty years, seventy years, we have created not just around the Euro Atlantic Alliance of NATO, but but elsewhere within the Asia Pacific. They, you know, that's it. That that is the biggest challenge to autocracies. What will be, I think, most exciting um, as we move forward with artificial intelligence and machine learning is is how those states work together. And I think it will be I think it will be a really organic relationship of of of, of aligned um, purposes and and um, and how they work together 
how they share data, how they share AI, AI, ML, AI, ML tools, because that will be how we can sustain or regain an advantage in some areas. And that will be the only way that we're able to stand up against um, states that have a fused civil and military uh, industrial base um, that have far more con- uh, far far, far um far more open data regulation which enables them to feed their their tools in a far far greater manner um and um and a and and a a significant budget so i think that uh, if if i was to end on on one thing uh, it wouldn't be the technology but um the excitement i have around um, the building of aligned allies, not just in the sort of traditional areas of Euro-Atlantic, uh, but elsewhere in the globe. Thank you very much. Alex Burton, thank you very much. Thanks for coming That's on. It's a pleasure. Fantastic Indeed. discussion. David, thank you. I think at some point in the future, um, I'm anticipating, and this is something I said to Dady earlier this morning, I'm anticipating that something massive is going to happen that's going to come out in the news. And um, and we may want to come back to you at some point in the future and say, what do you think about this? <laughs> <laughs> so if you're well, open to you. that, um, that of would be great. Okay, folks, that's a wrap on another amazing episode of Creatives with AI. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. If you want to stay up to date on how all things related to AI is impacting the creative industries, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever your favorite platform is. We're on them all. And follow us on social media. We're on mainly Twitter and LinkedIn, but we're the same handle everywhere, which is at Creatives with AI. We'd also really appreciate it if you could just take a minute to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Those are our two main platforms, and it really helps other listeners find the show, and it also helps us get more popularity and more exposure. So it'd be amazing if you could help us with that. If you've got any questions, topic suggestions, guest recommendations, feel free to send us an email. The best email is hello at creativeswith.ai, or you can shoot us a message on social media. Either one is fine. We love hearing from all of you and we can't wait to bring more exciting episodes in the future. And the best way we can do that is to get feedback from the audience and have the audience tell us who it is you'd like to hear from and what things you'd like us to ask and what topics you'd like us to talk about. So please use that. Let us know what you want to hear and we'll do our best to get it for you. And last but not least, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor, Future Hand Limited, who make this podcast possible. Your support means the world to us. And we really appreciate it. So thanks very much. That's it for today. So until next time, take care, everybody, and stay curious.